everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another creator-owned spotlight. We're here today to talk about a campaign that's currently live on Zoop. It's called El Mano del Destino. And we have the uh, writer and creator artist uh, joining us today, Jay Gonzo. Jay, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate this. Yeah, uh, fascinating. I, I, I'm not a wrestling fan, so obviously, uh, you know, Luchadoras and uh, that is, is a totally foreign world to me. Uh, that being said, I did get a chance to check out the first volume, which I found highly entertaining, very distinctive art style. So why don't you let everybody know what uh, kind of uh, El Mano del Destino is about, and then specifically the story for this second volume, which I think brings, brings in another love, because I, I know you talked uh, in the first volume, your love of comics and obviously your love of, of wrestling, uh, specifically luchadores. Um, but you're bringing in a kind of a third aspect of pop culture here, which I find fascinating. So, uh, so give us the pitch. Okay. Uh, well, La, La Mano del Destino is, uh, is this, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to not sound like I've done this a million times. Uh, <laughs> it's the story of a uh, once champion luchador who's uh, betrayed by his friends and unmasked in the ring. Uh, he then makes a, you know, as, as per the rules of Lucha Libre, you can never be that, that wrestler again. So he makes a, a deal with a mysterious promoter to get a new identity, uh, that of La Mano del Destino and a, a new power to get his revenge. Uh, but like all good comic book bargains, there's strings attached. And so uh, we spend the first volume uh, trying to see if he can get out of the deal, still get his revenge, but more importantly, remain the person he knows himself to be. And it all happens in this like swanky jet age, 1960s Mexico, where like Lucha Libre is the most important thing in that world. So in any kind of like business or political like dispute gets settled from like Luchador versus Luchador. Uh, so they're like rock stars and politicians kind of like all rolled into one. Uh, and then as we see in the first volume, uh, these guys are all famous in their world. So they do stuff like there's a cartoon about them within the world of the first volume. You see like it, it cuts to these little interstitials of like the cartoon version of them. Uh, and you can also see like, even though it recaps the events of previous issues, there's like a, um, there's a glossiness to it. There's like a Disneyfication of it that kind of like polishes off some of the rough edges. And, and, and so you see the kind of disconnect that this kind of media idea of them, uh, you know, being portrayed within the, the, the fiction of the story itself. Um, and so for the second volume, I really want to explore like, what it means to have kind of like image makers create an idea of you that may or may not be you out in the world. And so we're going to start to see things like the actual movies that he made in comic book adaptation form. So like the first, the first issue of the first, the second volume is going to be, um, you know, like kind of, you know, quote unquote, real world stuff, like the continuation of him on set, making a movie and then kind of doing some other things. Then he's going to like, Oh, I got to go to this movie premiere. And then we're going to see a full 40 page comic book adaptation of a movie that he made, which is an homage to like James Bond's sixties kind of spy stories, you know, uh, it's set in like the middle East and it's like, you know, far off lands um, and, and kind of political and, and, you know, espionage intrigue happened. And then that movie will conclude. And then we'll go back to the last 20 pages of the 80 page book will be, um, will be back to the you know, quote unquote real world and the events that kind of happen in there. And, and, and a lot of the confrontation is going to be that, um, you know, like what happens when people try to commodify a personality and exploit that and then kind of create what they want to sell as opposed to who that person might actually be. And then trying to reconcile, like, you know, like more people are going to see the movie than are ever going to meet him. And so they're going to start to gain ideas about him based on this media portrayals of him and him trying to reconcile this idea that people are starting to have about him versus the real him that he knows himself to be and still remain like that champion of the people that he is from the first volume. Like he's, you know, he's there for his people as opposed to being any kind of corporate shill. But now we've got like Hollywood money involved in the kind of like, you know, uh, 
the, the lures and enticements that, that all that brings with it. So, so that, that's kind of the breakdown of that. Yeah. It's fascinating, right? Because so relevant, like yeah, uh, Lucha Libre has been around for, for decades and decades. I don't even know when it, when it started, you obviously would probably be more able to speak to that, but uh, the, the idea of, of celebrity and this, uh, and, and even all of it, like e- even myself, yourself, anybody listening to this, you know, we may not be these, these household names or these celebrities, but everybody's, or most people are on social media. And in a way that's sort of similar, right? Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. the face that you're trying to project or the, the persona that you're trying to display to the world when it might actually not be true. So I think in that way, we can all relate. And, and, you know, cert- certainly, you know, a lot of people have touted over the last decade, the ills of social media and how disinformation and, you know, we, we know all about catfishing and people impersonating other people and, and what, what have you. So what made you want to kind of explore that idea uh, through the world of, uh, of luchadors and lucha libre? Well, I mean, the first volume is basically kind of my meditation on like the idea of identity, right? Like, you know, there's another, there's no great better distillation of identity than like luchador, like someone who obscures their alter ego to be just one thing and kind of construct it through deeds. And, and I, I like that notion. And then you know, granted where like, you know, the, the end of the first volume is it's like, well, where do we go from here? Like what, you know, um, I, I, I didn't want to rehash the kind of like identity versus destiny story of the first one. Um, but I wanted to extend the idea of like, um, you know, like what, what success means now, like what the, the, the new, the next level of, of, uh, of um, challenges might be for him. And a little bit of that is kind of personal, you know, it's like, you know, when I first started creating Lamano, I was very anonymous and uh, I was, you know, just like I was, I was just my work. Like I, it wasn't about me as a personality out there, you know, like I'm not Stan Lee, uh, you know, so I've just, uh, it was just, you know, about my work, but as kind of the notoriety of, of the book has kind of gained and, and I've kind of, you know, gained a little bit more, um, uh, more eyes on the book. Like now I'm now more and more, I'm meeting people who have an idea about me before I ever like talk to them. And that, um, it's just, a, it's a, it's a strange, you know, I mean, I, I think we've all had it in, in various and small ways, but kind of as my profile in the comic world has, has risen, um, it, it's becoming more and more that if I go to a convention, you know, and someone comes to my table, it's, it, it's kind of more likely than not now that they have some idea about me before they, we, they ever met me. And that was just kind of a strange thing to, to have to get my, you know, to reconcile to kind of, you know, uh, luckily for me, it's, they're pretty much the same thing. Like, you know, who, who I am, online and who I actually am are pretty much the same person. But, um, but there have been some suppositions made about me and, you know, people think I'm into something I'm not or, or what have you, nothing, you know, particularly like uh, unsavory, but it, it definitely has happened. And, and I thought that that was just kind of like a, you know, taking that experience and then, you know, uh, blowing it up into like, you know, the circumstance that Lomano finds himself in just seemed intriguing to me. And, and then also, you know, uh, ideas about success, like, what does that really mean? You know, like, like, uh, you know, most people think there's like a, you know, a, a, an end zone that this like, oh, well, he, you know, he made it. And then, um, you know, like fairy tales end with the, you know, their first kiss and the marriage or whatever. But it's like, let's get into the let's get into the marriage past the fairy tales. Let's look at like, you know, what is their seventh anniversary look like when they've they've heard every story each other has to offer? Like, let's let's look at the actual like um, the real ins and outs of like what it means to maintain a position of of, uh, of champion. Like, what does that mean? long-term, not just winning the belt the first time, what is defending that look like? And, and I just wanted to move past that in, in hopefully an interesting way and also explore metafiction. Like, you know, that, whole, that, that intrigues me too, is like, I get to tell other types of stories, 
that don't have to fit into like I don't have to create a situation in which Lamana was a spy for the government going over to a foreign land. It's just a movie he's making. And now I get to tell that story kind of devoid from any kind of continuity. Yeah, which is fascinating. And I mentioned it before. So, I mean, are you a big, in addition to comics and uh, Lucha Libre, are you a big James Bond fan? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, lo- I, loved, uh, I love James Bond in kind of all iterations. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a Lazenby apologist. Like, I think, uh, <laughs> I think For Her Majesty's Circuit Service is a good movie. You know, um, it's just a shame Lazenby didn't get to do more than that. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I loved, you know, in like Flint, I loved all of those kind of sixties, uh, spy movies that, that can be problematic. And I want to address some of that within the, the, when I do the James or when I do the spy thriller with Lamano, like I'm going to like, you know, uh, he's not going to be a womanizer. He's not going to kind of be hard drinking. Like there's going to be like, a, a you know, and, and not like to live in, in like, you know, just to be contrarian about it, but like, just, it, it is going to be, it's kind of who he is, right? Like he's like, he is just kind of a good dude. And like, I kind of want to put him in, in what would be a situation where like, you know, even the movie makers want him to be this different kind of person in that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I love those. Uh, I love those James Bond movies. And I also like those, um, those, those French movies that came out recently that uh, like I've probably the past 15 years at this point, those OSS 117 movies that are, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're parody, but all, they're almost not parody. Like they are just kind of like, doing you know they're not uh, austin powers they're not doing like a, a you know a, a piss take on them they're not like look how dumb this is like they're really like really lovingly homaged versions of those old james bond kind of in like flint movies but you kind of see some of the ridiculousness and what they they the anachronism they choose to put in there and so i, I kind of want what i'm going to do is going to be a little more akin to those oss 117s movies where they're just kind of like um kind of painstaking recreations of the the ethos of the time with maybe the slightest little you know twist on them to kind of you know modernize them in a slight way but but not but not ever like making fun of them like i I, like i love those movies and my love for them is going to be in these movies or in in these comics that i make uh and it's never going to be um you know uh it's going to be more black dynamite than it is i'm going to get you sucker you know what i mean like gotcha fair enough yeah fair enough we'll get back to the the wrestling aspect like i said i'm i'm i I don't live in that, in that world, but I have friends that, uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure some of them are into Lucha Libre, but I know a lot mm-hmm. of them are into more the American style wrestling. Yep. Um, and I, one of them recently told me, cause I was asking some questions. I'm I, cause I, again, I, I don't know anything. I'm like, I don't even know who's like the main good guy or bad guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of telling me a little bit and I'm just like, you know what? It sounds a little bit like a, a soap opera and, and oh, yeah. soap yeah. operas are, are very much like this, this open-ended tale that, needs to go on forever. Right. So it, it kind of speaks to what you're saying earlier about, okay, once you've been championed for seven years, like, you know, now what? So uh, a couple of, of things I want to know about that. So is, is modern Lucha Libre, is it similar in that it's kind of this open-ended kind of soporotic uh, telling? Um, and uh, you know, you, you also mentioned people having expectations are there a lot of young, I know, know there are a lot of young American wrestling fans. Is it still real vibrant with, with, you know, a big um, disparity in age for the fan base of Lucha Libre? Um, well, a, yes, the, it is still soap operatic. Like it is definitely like a continuing narrative that, you know, people come in and out and then, you know, you have to make room for like, Oh, this guy got fired. So we have to make a storyline that makes sense why he's no longer here. And then, um, you know, nowadays with American wrestling and I think with Lucha Libre, um, we have more of like uh, what's called smarks, like smart marks. Like these are people who follow the storylines and they're invested in the, uh, the, uh, the, the narrative aspect of it and, and the kind of um, the manufactured narrative of the soap opera. But they also know the real world, like, 
oh, that guy actually broke his arm or that guy's in rehab or, you know, like they, they know those things. And so they know that like, you know, and I think that uh, the guys who write wrestling now nowadays um, take more of that into consideration. Like they know that like, they know that everybody knows that that person just left for another company. So they can't say that he like, oh, he moved to you know Alaska and doesn't have a phone. Anymore. Like they can't do that sort of thing because they know he's going to be on another person's promotion right. working for another company. So that has to be addressed, but still continue the, the narrative of the fictional world that they've created. So, um, yeah, it's a little more, uh, yeah, it's a little more smarky these days. It's, a, you know, there are still, you know, storylines that continue that, that are all part of a, a manufactured fiction, but they do very much have, you know, know that the real world is out there. They acknowledge the real world, uh, in a kayfabe way. And like that kind of like, you know, wrestling is real still, but we also have to address the realities of real world. Um, and that, that, that is very much a part of like how, you know, the stories is is more apart more more than the sport you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it, it is um it's performance art more than it is athletic you know uh, athletic competition and that still very much holds true um i don't know man like the audience scene for me seems to be uh about you know you know like 20s you know 20s and up you know like a lot of guys uh a lot of people like over 40 like myself kind of like love them like there's a nostalgic like aspect to it and just to my art style alone there's like a nostalgic aspect to it but um, the younger the younger the people get, the more that it's a cultural identification. It's more like Latinx people who just like see the color palette and they see the subject matter and they're like, oh yeah, that's like that's our thing, you know. And then they kind of engage with it. Um, and and uh, but they they have less nostalgia for wrestling. Um, but you know, generally, I, I find that if if a person is a wrestling fan at a show at a comic show and they see my book, they're going to be into it. Like you know, like it's it's wrestling, it's comics, and they dig it. And, and regardless of like their age they'll kind of you know be into it and, and wrestling continues to have you know younger and younger fans you know um like kids not so much like you know a lot of kids if i deal with like you know kids who are fans of mine they're usually just fans of like the artwork and the color like they just like the bright and funness of it and my book is every age comic so it's it's okay for for children and that's always like a big sell for parents you know like oh my my kid can read this i don't have to worry about like you know crazy violence or swearing or you know nudity or anything like yeah and it's totally fine so um yeah i mean it you know, I also get like, you know, grandmothers who just have a vague recollection of their childhood who like, oh, I remember this from when I was a kid. And they just they pick it up surely for nostalgia. I don't know that they're ever going to read the story. They might just look at the luchadors and, and the costumes and the colors and, and, and dig on that. So, yeah, uh, I, that touches on something that I wanted to, to ask about next, which is community. So you did the first campaign on Kickstarter. Yep. Um, so were these ever released as single issues? Because the way the first um volume is set up you know it does you know have a one a two a three uh, through six and and there are the equivalent of covers in there Uh, but was it just released as a a collected edition oh no i I did them all as issues so i started this in well i started making it in 2010 i started like the first issue came out in 2011 uh through you know diamond comics distributors and it was in stores issues one and two were but i didn't quite have the money or the numbers to kind of you know keep doing that so i I self-published the rest of the issues uh, hence why it took like a decade to get all of them, all six issues together. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just, you know, going to shows. Uh, I have a small like distribution network of like shops that would carry the issues, uh, people who contacted me directly. And it was, you know, um, getting that initial like issue one out there through Diamond kind of got me like a, a pretty solid fan base of, you know, uh, you know, solid but small, you know. And then all it did was just kind of grow from there, just like me doing shows, getting out on the road, kind of hand selling comics, like you know, I would go to a show and, and, you know, make a couple hundred, you know, new customers at that show. And then the next time I went back to that show, if I had a new issue, they were all there waiting for it. And so I just did, you know, like self-published indie style comic books for, you know, 10 years. And then uh, once I had finished the story arc, the first arc, you know, volume one, I, I you know, issue six came out in 2019. 
Uh, I had also just done a book for Top Cow called La Voz de Mayo. Uh, that came out, uh, that trade paperback came out at the end of 2019 as well. And so 2020, I had a ton of conventions planned and I was going to get out there and, and uh, use, the, use my tour I was doing to support the Top Cow book to also kind of convert people to Lamano and that sort of thing. And, you know, we all know how the 2020 convention season yeah. went. So, uh, so then during 2020, I'm like, well, I got to do something. So then I did the Kickstarter for the trade paperback. Uh, the, the first volume that I did um, via tr Kickstarter was uh, bilingual. It was like all six issues in English on one side, all six issues in Spanish on the other side, uh, oversized, also on newsprint. Like my, my, my comic single issues were all on, like the floppies were all on newsprint. So they look and feel and smell like an old comic book because the comic is set in the 60s. So I wanted it to like just feel like an artifact from that time. So like everything from the paper selection to the ink type, all of that, like, you know, you, like you feel the paper, you smell the ink, you see the story. Like it, it's like an experience more than it's just a story. Um, yeah, so I did that. And then I wanted the trade paperback to also have that be slightly oversized, like all these bells and whistles and then be that bilingual flip book. So it ended up being like a 400 page uh, bilingual flip book with a uh, gold foil belly band replica of the championship belt that wrapped around the whole thing. Um, and, you know, and it was it was a pretty robust Kickstarter. Uh, and and I, I kind of got some advice on that. We're like, you know, you should do because there was some image. There was some interest for image and top cow to do a version uh, English only. And I was kind of advised like, hey, do that version first and then you can do your little bilingual thing later. And, and to me, it was like the, the bilingual version was the version. And if it didn't get to exist, then I didn't care what else happened. And but I was told to know in certain terms, like, look, if your Kickstarter doesn't fund, Top Cow is going to pull the plug and Image is going to pull the plug on, on doing an, a direct market version for you. And, and so uh, I was willing to bet on the audience being there. And, they, and I knew that they were there. I knew, I knew that they had been there in the past. And I was like, you know, I knew this is a thing that was like cool enough to entice people to buy it. So, um, so it was successful. And then uh, Image was like, hey, cool, let's do a English only for the direct market. And then I think that's the version that got sent to you was the English only yeah, yeah. kind of Top Cow version. Yeah. So there is a little more fancy version that exists uh, that was just for Kickstarter backers that I honestly, I'm still currently uh, doing my fulfillment on that. Just the logistics of, uh, of this during the pandemic and all of the problems that have happened has been uh, almost comical in, in how many and how, uh, how it's affected everything. But um, I do have like the next month to just, just focus on fulfillment. So anyone who ordered the first one will have it in their hands before the second before I even begin work on the second volume that that's coming out through Zoop. So, and that's part of why I went with Zoop too, is like, you know, when you do a Kickstarter, they're like, you know, you, you, you set everything up and they're like, you know, Kickstarter, like wishes you luck. You're like, we'll, we'll facilitate the interaction with the clients or the, the, the customer base, but everything else is kind of like, good luck. Hope you can, hope we can sort this out. Um, whereas Zoop is like, they're going to handle all of the production and all of the fulfillment. All I have to do is the art. Like I just have to make the book and I mean, I'll do the design again, uh, just because I, you know, I've got 30 years as a graphic designer under my belt. So um, I'll, uh, you know, I'll make sure, it, you know, they have the, the best thing possible to print. But like, and then they're going to print it to my specifications, paper type, size, all that sort of thing. But as far as like, um, you know, answering any emails, uh, working in the logistical problems out, all of that, that's all being handled by other people, which is, uh, and there are guys who do this for a living. There are guys who have done it in the past for other companies and now they're doing it on their own. So uh, these are trained professionals. Uh, who are going to help you know, make up for my logistical shortcomings, which is uh, which is a godsend to me, honestly. Well, and it's not even that you don't have the capability of doing it. It all becomes a matter of time, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I got I got to draw the book, you know. What yeah. I mean? Like, and I don't have time to be like both accounts receivable and the shipping department and the production, you know, pre-press. Yeah, I would rather just focus on making sure that the book is as good as possible. Uh, yeah, it's been they've been great about supporting me thus far. I mean, they're they're doing all of the marketing for the the campaign, and they're you know like it's. 
yeah, like that, that alone, like running the Kickstarter, just having to get there and beat that drum of like, you know, hey, you know, trying to beat the algorithms of getting throttled back and like just getting it in front of the right people. And without fail, whenever you run a campaign, you're still going to get 100 people after it closes. Go like, oh, when did this happen? I would totally back this. You're like, eh. You know, believe me, I was I was tweeting about it like nine times a day. I don't know what to tell you, you know. So those those guys are handling that marketing aspect of it, which would be a full-time job for me. But since that's not a full-time job for me now, I can just focus on fulfilling my last Kickstarter and then making sure the Zoop project is going to be as, as, as good as possible. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a perfect example of that. I, I hadn't heard of this before Zoop reached out to, you know, and I'm glad they did because, yeah. again, I'm not a wrestling fan. I'm not a, a Lucha Libre fan, but it's fan the story's fantastic and i didn't know that it was on newsprint that makes me want it all the more <laughs> like I, I need a physical yes i i got sent the the uh the all english one and it has some great back matter in there and what have you that i still haven't had a chance to go through all of it but but i want i want the physical copy because it's a gorgeous package from what i see and uh you know the newsprint and everything and nostalgia like you were talking about um but but going back to talking about uh community um obviously the fans showed up for mm-hmm. the, you know, the individual issues, like you said, and then showed up for the Kickstarter. Um, the fact that it was bilingual, did, like, had you had people coming up to you at shows that, you know, English second language, maybe were struggling a little bit. Was that part of the reason that, and we'll talk about diversity and inclusion in a minute, but um, was that part of the reason you, you were so insistent and, and had such belief that people would show up for the flip book? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, to me, the, the people I made it, I mean, I, I made the book because, I was tired of the way that like my culture was represented in, in American pop culture. And it was just getting worse and worse. I, I mean, I've, I've told the story a lot, but it's like, every time you see Mexico, it's like sepia tone and Brown and dirty looking. And the only story Hollywood wants to tell is about cartels and violence and poverty. And then, you know, partially, and then kind of tangential to that, you would see like luchadors in American movies and they don't wrestle. Like they, they're just dudes in masks who are like hitmen or bodyguards or some nonsense. And then kind of, you know, part and parcel of that they're also kind of like a punchline it's like look at this dumb guy in a mask and you know and then a lot of times when you see like a latino in, a, in an american movie he's kind of like you know like there's this like slow-witted mexican kind of like you know who kind of doesn't get it you know like it, it, and i was just kind of sick of seeing you know seeing myself my culture represented in this light knowing that have, like there's a bright vibrant dynamic aspect to, to all these things that i love and that's why i created this comic you know i wanted to celebrate the beauty of my culture and, and get it out in the world and it shows and, and um, you know, and just, you know, people reaching out to me, I would get these people who like, yeah, English definitely was their second language. Some of them kind of barely spoke English and they would tell me they loved the book, even though they like just the visuals alone. And, and I was like, and they wanted to know if there was a Spanish version. And I had always intended to, to print both of them. In fact, when I talked to Diamond initially, I wanted to do English and Spanish. And I was just told by the industry time and time again, Spanish language comics don't sell, you know, Spanish language comics don't sell. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that the market as it is, and I think this is just benign neglect. I don't think it's anything, there's any malice involved. I think the market that it, as it exists currently just doesn't know how to market or distribute or get Spanish language comics to people who would enjoy them mm-hmm. because the market, I mean, the, just the distribution system is, you know, comic shops and what have you, it's just not set up for that, you know, and, and it would be such a small part of like what does exist that it's not worth their while. I, I get it. But I feel like, you know, if you pick the right cities, if you had spinner rack distribution, you could grow that market just you know, uh, exponentially, but no one wants to like reinvent the wheel, especially with the market kind of shrinking in the way that it is currently, you know, in, or moving to the book market, you know, like, which is, which is even more English dominated. So it's well, Brazil, just, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Brazil yeah. has a huge comment and it's growing by leaps and bounds. So oh, sure. I don't yeah, see yeah. why Mexico or Central America wouldn't be the same thing. 
yeah. to your point, if, if it was just distributed in a different way. So, well, that, so here's the problem. The, and then the, the, you got to remember 75% of our industry is being dominated by two companies, right? Mm-hmm. Who are only tangentially interested in comic books. They're IP managers who make movies in their own IP farm. So that, that's, but those guys will take something like, you know, the Fantastic Four or Captain America, Superman, Batman, they'll translate it into Spanish and put it, like allow it to be sold in, you know, in American stores. And then they don't do as well as English language books. And so the lesson learned there is like, oh, Spanish language comics don't sell. What they don't realize is that when you translate Spider-Man into Spanish, it's not a Latin comic. It's just a comic in Spanish. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't, you know, the ethos of the people who interact with that is much different than those people who interact with like a Superman comic. It's just, you know, the, the ideas of heroism are different. And so I wanted to create something from the ground up that was quintessentially like, you know, it's, it's brown on purpose. Like this is a Chicano ass comic for Chicano fans, you know, like about Chicano subject matter, you know, done by a Chicano. Like, you know, so like the, the, the uh, cultural shorthand is just, is, is inherent, is baked into it, you know, and to take something like a, a Superman story and just put it in Spanish is not necessarily making a comic for Latin people. Uh, and, and I think that, the success that I've had, I think, proves that. Like, if you do something for this group, like, you know, in a, in a manner, in the language that they're going to listen to, they're, they'll show up for it. But, you know, that means that, you know, these places would have to staff up with writers and they would have to have an editorial and oversight that would understand the culture. They're just not, they're, you know, those guys aren't there for that now. You know, I think we've seen shifts in, in um, representation amongst kind of editors and, and, and editorial staff and the people who make those decisions is, is starting to get better. But, as far as Latinx people are concerned, it's still not quite there. I think it's made better strides with, uh, like, w- uh, with gender equality. I think that you know, uh, I think that's made better stride. Uh, but um, as far as like including any kind of Latinx community, and and also, you know, like that just that term Latinx is re- extremely kind of reductive. You know, it's it's like all brown people from you know, from the, Mex- the American Mexican border all the way to Antarctica, You're like these people not realizing that Colombians are much different than Mexicans, as well as Chileans or Peruvians, or, you know, like th- they're all very different things. And, and um, you know, I just don't feel like these companies are so huge that they can't go chasing these like smaller little thin slices of a, a, a of a demographic, um, you know, mono myth or monolith. So um, I, I don't fault them for it. They're not built up to do it, but what they've done is they've created a vacuum and a desire that I get to fill and have success in. So, and they also keep the lights on at the comic shops that get to shine on La Mano del Destino. So it's like, I will, I will be the pilot fish to their little shark, you know, like, <laughs> like swimming around. And, and, I, and, and I have no problem with that, but I feel like someone's going to get it right sooner or later in a big way. And then everyone's going to jump on it. So, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping to kind of crack that door open so that perhaps someone will see the potential there. And, and sh- you know, my success will, will, uh, entice somebody bigger than me even to kind of take a chance on this um so i hope that answered your question man i know i went a lot of different places. no 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 very much so and it's similar to a conversation i had with a, another in, interview uh, that's going to come out at the end of the month but, but i actually did the interview uh before christmas even uh mm-hmm. but it was uh with uh, uh an african-american creator and it was yep. the same thing it's like everybody assumes if you're african-american you have the same experience yeah, you know, right. when we talk about, uh, you know, people of Latin descent, that's an even bigger demographic, you know, oh, for sure. And yeah, so, yeah. yeah, not everybody just because you're brown, not everybody is the same. <laughs> but the other uh, the other aspect of this and you're you're, uh, you're kind of speaking to it when you talk about translating Superman or Spider-Man, when you talk about American superheroes, mm-hmm. 
let's start with Superman. He was the very first one. Superman's roots, Superman's origins mm-hmm. are rooted in the Jewish experience in this country that Siegel and Schuster had, yep. you know, with him in the early issues, fighting slumlords, this and that or whatever. So yep. anything that comes out of that inherently has its roots in the history of America, as opposed to taking any of those heroes and translating them to the Mexican culture, let's say specifically, I would think you need to start a kind of a Mexican comic industry in the same way where it needs to start with a hero that has its roots in the history of Mexico and its independence and all of that. Right. So you're, you're, you're trying to take a different seed and transplant the plant. And I can see why it doesn't work as opposed to what you're doing, where you're taking something that's rooted in Mexican culture with all the vibrancy, with all the color um, you know, I, I live in Arizona. I see the curtains behind you. You know, th- yeah, yeah. this is this is the influence of, you know, Mexican culture in America. And uh, it, it's really important. And you're right. It is getting better. But at the end of the day, you, you can only go so far if you're using these characters and an industry that's not rooted in kind of the history and beginnings of the Mexican culture. Right. Well, yeah, even Superman is appropriate. I mean, he, he isn't you know, he's basically the immigrant experience. He's immigrant made good. Like his difference mm-hmm. makes him better. Uh, that's like, and that's a time in America when, when it, you know, we were, you know, we had a lot of immigrants and these like first generation whose parents were born in foreign lands and they were born here. And like the immigrant experience was, you know, very much a part of, uh, of what, how they created these. However, it gets, it gets co-opted by the kind of Western hero mythos uh, pretty early, right? Like in, in Western mythology is very much ego driven. And, in, and the, the American ideal of heroism is, is, is also like uh, stems from that right so like you know you know uh, i always say like king arthur gets to pull the sword out because of who he is not what he does you know hercules gets his position because of who he is and not what he not necessarily what he does the uh you know the, the rugged individualism of the west like the cowboy western hero yeah. is very much about who they are and you know um because of who mexico and I, i've said this a lot so anyone listening who's heard me say this before i apologize but you know mexico has a very a tenuous relationship with identity as far as it's concerned, like historically, because we are mestizo, like, you know, more than 80% of Mexico is mestizo. We're, we're mixed. We're both, you know, uh, we have the, uh, the surname of our conquerors and the skin color of the conquered. We are as much conquistador as we are conquered. And so, you know, in American, like, you know, marginalization of like, you know, people, uh, victim victimizers, a little more clear cut. Like if you're kind of this skin color, you were victimizer. If you were on that side, you're the victim, you know, the victim. Um, whereas in Mexico, it's a little more like I'm as much victimizer as I am victim. And so for me to kind of take a posture of one side or the other, it's a little disingenuous with not, not inclusive of my, my person as, the, as a whole. And so a lot of our heroes are anonymous and they, they, they forego their ego to define themselves by what they do. You know, you look at someone like even like Zorro, who just takes his like noble heritage and, and puts it all aside to put a mask on and do the right thing. And, you know, and I acknowledge he was created by a white guy, but he's, he is a hero very much revered in, you know, in, in uh, Mexico. But, you know, and even, you know, uh, like the, the luchador, same thing. It's, you know, there is no Clark Kent to a Superman. He is just the thing that does the right thing. He is just the, 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 the vehicle for, for righteousness to prevail more than he, than, he, uh, than he is about, like, who he is or where he came from or any of that, you know. And, and all of those are kayfabe and made up and stuff. And so, you know it's just a, it's a it's a slight difference in ethos that that means that these kind of ego-driven white male power fantasies of american superheroism don't quite resonate with a uh, with a, a ethos of a people 
who are more about like what you do than who you are just because of how like we're acculturated. I mean, it's the same thing with like, you know, Japanese heroes are, are always different than American heroes because, you know, these are people who have, um, who their surname comes first, right? Their family name comes before. So who they think of themselves as is a part of a, as a, of a unit more than they think of themselves as an individual. And that's an ethos that we just can't understand. Like, we don't, we don't get that because we, you know, I, I go by Gonzo. Like, I don't even use my actual government name. You know? Like, so, you know, we're very much about like, you know, we're, you know, we're the, this first name first, you know, and we're, you know, we're a country that embraces Madonnas and shares and people who are just mononyms, right? They're just, they're just one name and, you know, and making a name for yourself is very much an American ideal. Whereas like a Japanese person couldn't fathom that, like that kind of like proudness, that kind of like putting yourself above anything else is, it would, is inconceivable. So just in the way that those things are different, the, the same with like, you know, Mexicans, you know, uh, Chicanos, you know, what have you, like we, you know, we just have a different idea of what heroism means. And part of why I did this kind of like 60s motif on, on how I put my comic together was um, A, Lucha Libre was like, I think at its zenith in the 60s, like the luchador as a hero, as an icon, as a cultural icon, really, it doesn't get any better than like 1965, like through the set, like 1970, uh, you know, like El Santo, Mil Masco, those guys are making movies all the time. But anyway, um, it is also like taking this very, you know, in the 60s in America, we, you know, we've really codified superhero comics as like a look. And, and um, for me to appropriate that, but then make it about this kind of like very Mexican kind of uh, ethos when it comes to heroism was kind of a little bit of like, you know, um, it was intentional. Like I'm taking white more power fantasy and just putting a different little spin on it. And now it becomes about, you know, my meditation on, on kind of respectability politics of the kind of Chicano diaspora as seen through, you know, my, myself. And that, you know, that, that is a thing that, um, that comics initially in America kind of dealt with. It was like classism, you know, like, and, and Lamano definitely becomes a, about kind of the internalized respectability to politics of a culture steeped in classism that existed before Hernan Cortez got there. I mean, the Aztecs had their caste system. The Spanish just show up and put themselves at the top of that. Like, so we, we know we got millennia of kind of caste class system that we're still kind of looking to overcome. I mean, there is colorism. There is a little lot of, you know, things like that that exist in the culture. And, and that kind of, um, you know, the last vestiges of that kind of run out in the 60s in Mexico too. So this time, place, and even art style all lend themselves to kind of making a point about it without having to be, a, be the TED talk that I'm currently delivering to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it also then, you know, but I should point out, this is also a very fun comic about dudes in masks beating on each other. Like first and foremost, it had to be just dumb fun comics, right? Because that's like, comics used to be fun. And I think that's like when you can sneak ideas in on people, you know, but a lot of these kind of underpinnings do exist in there. But I never take a moment to like, lecture anybody about like these sorts of ideas they're just kind of woven throughout the the understructure of the comic yeah well i mean it, when we talk about lamano's history you know there's a little bit of that class stuff in there and and you know right at the end when we find you know find out some, some more about his origins that he wasn't even aware of so yeah, it, yeah it's it's in the background but but overall it's just a fun comic and it's also yeah. in in my mind very educational for somebody like me who who didn't know anything about lucha libre you know and i think for me the line and it goes to identity, the line that resonated with me the most that helped me, I think, kind of understand a lot of what you're talking about is uh, at one point, there's a line about the fact that somebody who's a luchador, they don't find their identity until they put the mask on. Like yeah. as, a, as a person, as you know, like you're talking about as an individual, they didn't even know who they are. Like if yeah. you have that calling, if you're, you know, if you're that heroic luchador type, mm -hmm. you don't even realize it until you 
you know, yeah. put on the mask and you subsume who you were before for this new heroic identity. And that's what Lamano does. Yeah. I mean, that's the, um, you know, that was the, the difference I was trying to state between American heroes and a luchador, right? Like, uh, you know, uh, American heroes put the mask on to conceal who they are so they can protect their loved ones or whatever, you know, and the line is like, you know, it should be noted that the luchador dons his mask not to conceal his identity, but to reveal it. Right. So like, that's the kind of like, I'm not, I'm not doing this to protect my loved ones or to like have any kind of anonymity so that I can then do other things. No, no, no. This is to let the world know this is what I am. This is who I'm, you know, this is, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. And, and, it, again, it's that slight difference in ethos between Western heroes and, 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 and the Mexican, you know, Mesoamerican kind of heroism. And, and that I, that I, that was like the one time I thought I needed to get explicit about it. Just kind of like, yeah. And also let people know, like, it doesn't matter uh, who's under the mask. Like that's, that's beside the point. It's about, you know, what he does with the mask on that, that is the real him. So. Yeah. It's fascinating. So uh, tell us a little bit about the campaign. Some of the, um, rewards are available because you know obviously we talked a lot about the first volume this is for the second volume yep. you know that you that you described with the james bond type film and whatnot but you can yep. still get the first volume right yeah yeah well anyone who, so if you if you do back the second volume and grant so you can get the first volume i should point out to anyone who wants to buy it like today right now just go online lamano del destino hit shopping uh you can get it through amazon you can get it through barnes and noble like it's everywhere that that english only image version is is, is as available as an image comic can possibly be However, if you back the campaign for the second volume, you're going to get a PDF at least of the first volume. And we do have to reward tiers that do include the um, collected edition. We have, I think we have 20, I'm a lot, I don't have a lot of overages. So I think I have 20 of that actual deluxe version of the first volume, the bilingual version that will come with the first issue. There's, there's a reward tier there. Um, Does it come with the belt? that you were just yeah yeah that, that will come with the, okay. the gotta, uh, as soon as we're done talking I'll get, i'm going to get that oh, okay <laughs> go, go pledge at that level yeah for sure um but uh uh what is it um and then we do have rewards so you'll get you know i think everything at least gets the first issue which is an 80 page giant so uh you know it's like four times a comic book size um and then uh and then a pdf of the first one so you can get, get up to speed also i should note if you just want to read the second volume i'm not going to make it to where you you have to have read the first volume like there'll be like a little recap all you really need to know this guy's a hero he's a champ you know move move forward you know like right. this world is, this world is weird and we're going to really explore that world so you're going to see the weirdness of this world like where luchadors are the most important thing in that world but um so that's like base level kind of tier um we do have some movie posters that i've made for the movies that he stars in within his world uh you know there's a sci-fi adventure there's the spy adventure there is a um jungle adventure which the jungle adventure is going to be the thing he's filming throughout the series mm. like you're going to see him like on set doing that and it's kind of like the main the main struggle is how that movie is getting made uh so the first issue is going to have um kind of real world plus tangier target the spy story uh then we're going to do a second issue that's going to have um what's it called uh real all all real world then i'm going to do an issue of uh, another movie adaptation then real world movie adaptation real world it's going to it's going to go back and forth so there's going to be five issues of real world the uh movie adaptations are going to possibly be handled in slightly different ways. That's all I can really tease on that right now. So, um, but, uh, but they'll be there as well. Uh, but five, I'm committed to at least five real world issues, the movie adaptations we're going to have some fun with. Um, and then, uh, so anyway, uh, so issue PDF is what I think the base level, some of those posters we're doing actual silk screen, like six color posters of that big jungle adventure. We're doing a two color version of the Tangier target poster, uh, we've got some original art tiers where like, I'm going to, you know, do some commission art for people. Um, I'm trying to think, like, I know we're like, we're announcing stuff, but I might have to pull this up. Man. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah. So, uh, and then we, you know, we do have like, so, and then also like, you know, we do have a retailer bundle, which uh, I wasn't able to do with Kickstarter because I couldn't do the math on like discounting, you know, like to, to make my goal, like, oh, if I discount this amount, like how many more do I need to, add, you know, uh, put on there? Hold on a second. Let me see what else we got here. Um, so yeah, there's digital version of it, printed version of it. Um, there's signed versions of it. There's ones that come with the posters. There's one to come with the collected editions. Uh, and I think very variety packs of that for right now, um, you know, and the commission, like getting commission art for me uh, in addition to, to getting those. Um, God, I don't know what I can actually tease here. So we have some kind of stretch goal ideas. Some other cool shit is coming down the line. Um, uh, but I don't know at what point we're gonna, like, I'm not in charge of like when that gets revealed. Gotcha. So yeah, you enough. can follow the campaign too. You know, you can just follow the campaign and see what's going on with it. Uh, but I mean, like we're, you know, 50% funded on day three or day four right now. It's going to happen. So uh, I think we're, once we hit the stretch, like once we hit the actual goal, we're going to start unloading or off uh, revealing some other like cool, like things that I just think are cool. I mean, like that's, uh, you know, so many crowdfunding things I see um, and, and even like trade paperbacks and stuff like, there's a lot of kind of BS that's being kind of promoted as like the, you know, it's it, it's like an interactive menu on a DVD it used to be a feature. You used to see that on the box as an advertisement. Like, oh, I get this DVD that has an interactive menu. Like interactive menu is bullshit. Like it's, yeah. it's nothing anybody wants. So I'm not doing anything that's just like, oh, uh, one of the rewards is not going to be the script for the comic book because that's, that's a bullshit reward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like nobody wants the script for a comic book. They want the comic book. So um, I'm trying to make this all cool stuff that people would want anyway and, and make it... Um, you know, uh, as enticing as possible. Like, I don't, I don't want this to be like that food truck pricing where it's like, oh, yeah, I want a burger, but I don't want a $20 burger because it came off a food truck and a, a guy with, a, you know, tattoos, a beard and a ponytail he is mating for me. Like, I just, you know, so anyway, I, I'm trying to make it um, as, uh, as much a kind of non-decision as possible. You know, like, it's like, oh, that's, that's cool. It's affordable. I'll grab it. I don't want anyone having to hem and haw over like, it's cool, but is it like, you know, is it $500? Cool. Like, I'm like, none of that. Like, that's, that's not, you know, um, you know, like, I, I'd rather reach more people for less money. Like, and this is never about the money. I mean, if I wanted to make money, I wouldn't be in comic books. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This isn't about me getting rich on anything. This is just about me. I, I, I cut my profit margins like razor thin. And that's just to, con to cover any kind of fluctuation in supply stuff that because the world is crazy, but you know, like I, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not selling $40 t-shirts. Like I'm not going to do like that sort of thing, you know, like, uh, yeah, it just, you know, uh, in my head, a t-shirt would be $20. So if we offer t-shirts, it's going to be 20 bucks, you know, like those sorts of things, like just trying to keep everything reasonable, uh, but also cool stuff, you know, like I'm not going to ask it, like if I made a t-shirt, it's not going to be just like the logo or something on there. Like I, I you know, cause nobody wants, like I, it would be a cool piece of artwork that you would want to wear regardless if it would belong to my campaign or not. And, and it's stuff like that. Like I don't want, um, yeah, there's stuff that's easy to do, but it's not necessarily right for what I do and my campaign. So I just want it all to be cool and worthwhile, I guess, is the short answer. Um, yeah, fair enough. Uh, hopes to do some shows this year in 2022. Yeah, uh, I definitely going to do um, Heroes is, is always on the list. Uh, I had a really good time at Dragon Con last year, so I'm going to try to get back to Dragon Con. Um, Emerald City was great this year. I'm going to get back to Emerald City. I had signed up for C2E2, but uh, just couldn't make it work logistically for me. So I, I had to back out of it but I might go back there. Like I still haven't done it. So I'll, I'll do that. Um, you know, Acme, which is the Arizona comics mini expo that Ryan Cody does every year. Uh, that's happening. I'll, we'll be doing that. Um, I think there's a Latino comics expo happening in long beach uh, that I'll definitely be at. I, I, I know there was one, but I think it maybe had to get moved. I don't really know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do as many shows as I can. Um, I'm trying to 
be a little more sane about it this year. Last year, uh, I ended up doing like in the last half of the year, I think I did nine shows or something like that. It was, it was almost every other weekend that I like, some of them were back-to-back weekends. And then it, it seemed like at least once a month, if not twice a month, I was running out to do something, um, which wasn't great for my productivity. Uh, but realistically, I just want to, I want to be able to put all five of these issues out before the end of the year. And that's like my, my goal. Um, you know, we're starting, uh, I'm going to be pencil on paper uh, in February 1st. I'm going to be drawing, you know, starting this, you know, or, back on it, I should say, I, I do have some stuff already drawn for it. Um, and then uh, if this all goes well, uh, I should be able to just maintain a schedule of like working on Lamano, getting the issue out, like while it's being, while it's in, in production and being distributed, I should be able to hit a few shows and then come back and work on it again. And, and uh, you know, ideally like this time next year, I want to be talking about the trade paperback for the second volume of Lamano. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully so. And, and yeah. good luck with that. Yeah, uh, you, you know, you mentioned going to some of these shows, Obviously, you know, we were talking before we started recording. You and I both live in Arizona. Yeah. I'm originally from California. Oh, me too. Very much kind of a, a Latin, you know, Mexicans and Latin, very much a part of life here in, in yes. the, the American Southwest. When you go to shows like Emerald City or yeah, yeah. Heroes Con or, uh, you know, so, some more uh, uh, Dragon Con, you know, some more East Coast type stores where yeah. maybe it doesn't have uh, as big of a Latin influence or big of a, a Latin community you still have a, a good amount that show up? Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like I never really, because I originally, I would just kind of stick to Southern Southwest, you know, America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm from LA as well, or I don't know what part of California you're from, but. Uh, Central I, California. Most, okay. Yeah. Fre- fre- yeah. Fresno area. So. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I grew up in uh, like just outside of LA in Cyprus. So, um, you know, like, but I, again, like I know like kind of like that's, that's where I got introduced to this world. So I know Luta Libre plays well there. Uh, you know, I've done stuff in like San Jose, uh, and then like, you know, Arizona and stuff. And, and it all, like, it was all kind of like, you know, insular, but I, I took it, you know, Lamano to New York, you know, uh, uh, you know, like five or six years ago. And it went, went over really well there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, I, I think that my love for it sells it more than the actual subject matter. I think you can just smell the love coming off of it, you know? Like, it's like everything about it. Like, it's my love letter to 60s comics. It's my love letter to, to Lucha Libre. It's my love letter to, you know, um, you know, my Chicano culture. Like all of like, you know, it's just, everything you know it's a comic for me that i just i love every aspect of it and and i think people kind of sense the care coming out of it and that where they respond to um i used to do a show uh and i probably will uh again in in uh you know columbus ohio uh you know which is a really good comic town like the billy ireland's there and stuff and and um you know again people just like the craft more than maybe the subject matter um yeah heroes was weird like i I did a panel about uh like wrestling and then i talked a little bit like about lucha libre and afterward it was like literally like a bunch of people came up to me after like, I had no idea about like, like they, they'd never really heard about it or knew what it was. It was the one, I think, yeah, Charlotte might be the most foreign land I've ever really been to with Lucha Libre. Uh, weirdly enough, like um, the two surprises for me was uh, did a show in, in Miami beach, uh, which was really weird for me because I was surrounded by Latin people, but zero Mexicans. I met like one Mexican the whole time. Yeah. And so it was weird being like a minority amongst minorities. And it was one of the places where I thought that the only thing that saved me is I had the Spanish language version, like, uh, and people just like people who were primary Spanish speakers bought it, not necessarily because they like Luta Libre, but because they, it was in Spanish. Right. Um, and, and, um, that was weird because like, yeah, like, you know, there's less love amongst, you know, uh, Cubans and Puerto Ricans and, you know, Peruvians for like Luta Libre, like, uh, then, you know, like say Mexicans and like Guatemalans and stuff. So that was a really strange experience. Like it did not go over nearly as well as I might've suspected, but I did okay there. 
conversely to that, I did that show, I did Emerald City, and I thought like, oh, this is probably like I've I've probably traveled north enough to where like uh like you know Chicano culture doesn't really play as well. There's a huge Latin community in in Seattle. Oh really? Uh, and yeah, and they're super underserved. Like they get they got nothing up. Like literally at that show, there was me and there was one uh a woman writer who did like like fantasy novels that were like kind of Chicano folk or like you know Latin focused. And uh, I only know that because literally every Latinx person who stopped at my booth told me like, oh, oh yeah, like you're the only guy doing this. Well, there's that one girl over there who did this stuff. <laughs> Eventually she and I talked and I guess everyone was telling her about me and everyone was telling me about her. So we ended up like talking and stuff. Uh, very nice woman. I, I enjoy talking to her, but you would just see this like kind of like flash of recognition amongst the Latinx people there when they saw just my color palette alone on my booth. They should be like, oh, shoot, like, damn, I didn't even realize I was missing this. But like, you know, it just like spoke culturally to them. And they would tell me about it, like, yeah, dude, like, no, like this, there's just nothing like this for us. And so I, I did really, really well in Seattle um, because I was like, I had cornered the market. I was like the only guy <laughs> doing legit comic books that were even remotely, you know, Latinx themed. And and, um, and I know this because I literally everyone, uh, I think every Latino who walked by me stopped and talked at least for a few minutes about how there is nothing else like this in the rest of the show. So um, yeah, cornering the market was great, uh, but also finding like, yeah, man, go all the way to Seattle and, and uh you know, it turns out that it's still appreciated. So it, it's, it just hits differently in different places. You know, like um, when I'm in a place like LA, I, I don't have to explain what Lucetti raised to anybody, you know, like right. I do like Latino comics expo out there. Uh, yeah. Again, like Abuelita little, like, you know, grandmothers like see that and they're like, Oh yeah, I remember this from when I was a kid. And like, you know, they just reminisce about, you know, watching it with their dads and stuff. And you know, it's, it's a more of a nostalgia trip there. Uh, when I'm in like Charlotte, it's more about the art and kind of the execution, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, when I'm in Miami, it's about the language, you know? So yeah, it, it, it hits on a lot of different levels and is, is done fairly well for me. Um, yeah, I, I still have yet to find like a, a, a dud. Like I've, I've yet to do a show where like people just don't care about what I'm doing, you know? Um, but I think some of that is craft. I think, you know, I, I, I put a nice book together. So yeah, yeah, yeah at the no, very definitely. least, yeah, people who like comics will like it. Yeah, and you've put in the time, you know, like you said, you've been doing it for 10 years, but that definitely sounds like you'll be returning to the Seattle area. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, yeah. I loved, loved it. Yeah. Those guys love. I mean, I, and I, I sold a lot of like um, number ones and twos out there, you know, so there's a lot of people who just tried me out. And I'm sure when I go back, I'll be selling a lot of like three through sixes and then possibly some of the you know, volume two stuff as well by the time I get out there. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Gonzo, uh, I really appreciate the time. It's been great talking to you. Uh, like I said, everybody, I'm going to go and, and get the flip book for myself right, right now as soon as we're done talking. Uh, so if you don't want him to run out, you better go and uh, pledge soon. Uh, and one thing that I'll remind everybody, I always say this whenever we do creator own books, even if what we've talked about today doesn't seem like it's for you, or it does seem like it's for you, but maybe you just don't have the means right now to fund it. Best way you can help out uh, Gonzo is to go and promote it on social media, put it on your social media. Let's get as many eyes on this thing as possible. Cause like he said earlier, uh, there's always people that would have loved to have been part of the campaign if they realized it, that it was going on, you know, it happens to me. It happened. And I'm, I live and breathe comics as you guys all know. So and there's nothing worse than finding a campaign. You would have loved to have joined two or three days after it's done. You just missed it. So uh, even if it's not for you or, or you'd love to get it, but can't right now, just share it on social media. Let's get this out in front of as many eyes as possible. So it can, uh, it can be successful. And, uh, and like Gonzo said, it's only three days in, it's already halfway funded. You know, it's going to make it. So, you know, you're going to actually get the book. Uh, so uh, if anybody wants to follow along when a lot of this stuff starts to, uh, a lot of the, the stretch goals and whatnot start to be uh, revealed, Gonzo, where's the best place to follow your work online? 
Uh, I would say Instagram's probably it for me right now. It's uh, just J Gonzo Art, the letter J Gonzo Art, all one word. Uh, yeah, I got um, I got uh, hacked and banned from Facebook recently, which was a bad. Uh, yeah, so someone hacked my account, posted some stuff that got me banned. I have no idea what it was or how long this ban is going to uh, last for. So uh, I can't do anything on Facebook. But yeah, if you just go to Instagram, is probably the best as far as uh, how often I'm on there posting stuff and and talking about the campaign. Um, yeah, J Gonzo Art. Yeah, and then you said there's also a, a website where they can buy the book right now. Yeah, yeah. if you go to uh, zoop.gg, uh, that's where the, um, yeah, I don't know what the GG is, but yeah, zoop.gg is where the campaign for uh, Series 2 is. And then if you want to buy Issue 1, just Google search Lamano Del Destino, click on shopping, and then purchase from whatever site you feel comfortable purchasing it from. Because it's, like I said, it's on you know, Target.com, Walmart.com, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Pretty much anyone selling comics like, you know, on the Internet has a version of Lamano because it was, uh, you know, it's an image comic. So or at least the English only one is. So. But if you want something fancier than that, go to zoop.gg back at the level uh, to, to your liking. Yeah, and I'll put a, a link to the campaign, as always, in the show notes, everybody. And I'll put a link to uh, to Jay Gonzo's uh, Instagram as well. So if you're having trouble finding them, you can just click there. So uh, best of luck with the campaign. Really appreciate you joining me and, and talking, and I can't wait to get my hands on not only a physical copy of, of Volume 1, which I really enjoyed, so thank you for that, uh, but check out this new volume as well. Can't wait. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and to all you listeners, we want to thank you for joining us as always. We really appreciate the support, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.